right, Bootstrapped Web, we're here. So me and Jordan basically ran out of topics to talk about. And what's the only solution to that? Well, it's uh, invite Ian Landsman on the show. He'll, he'll figure this out for us. <laughs> I love being the third or fourth option. That's, that's my, this is my <laughs> A spot for me. Yeah, this is great. Well, last week we went to Twitter to see what people thought we should talk about. Right. And, and, and you come right after that. <laughs> like we looked in a newspaper there wasn't much in there so no yeah. well, <laughs> not, like, not like there's anything, not any news in the world yeah 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 so oh, no. we'll get Lanzard in here he can ramble on he hasn't been on a podcast in like a year so he'll he'll fill the time Ian, what what is this uh, tweets that I'm seeing from you about uh, starting up a new podcast? What 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 are you thinking there? I know. Maybe this will be the, this will be it right here. Like I had to get my stuff set back up. I got the mic set up. I'm like got my Scarlet set up and all that stuff. So maybe this will be. I don't know because I I love podcasting and like so I'm kind of ready to get back into it. Like life is generally sort of a little less hectic uh, in certain aspects of it. Where I, like I could do maybe kind of get back into podcasting a little bit, make that couple hours, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I feel like I want to have a very specific, like a, a structure. I want more of a structure if I do a podcast again, and I'm still kind of thinking through that. So I really love podcasting. I like getting on this show and I had the other show productized podcast, which is like an interview show, but that I got burned out on because of the structure and, and because of interviewing people and doing different guests. I would like more of, open-ended talk about anything because I, I was a guest on a few recent podcasts like I was on um Kaylin Jordan's and then I was on uh, Matt Medeiros this week just talking about like other stuff that that I don't typically talk about here on, on Bootstrapped Web and I just you know it's just fun to do that kind of stuff that is definitely along the lines of what I'd want in that kind of like how I think like a template but with more structure than this is like daring fireball like the talk show I do not want any part of interviewing people. Like, I don't want to be prepared. Like, I don't want questions that are related. Like, I have to know your, no, 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 Like, I don't want anything to do with that. But yeah, like there's a topic and we both just come in and we can talk about the topic. I'm not interviewing you and getting your life story. I'm just new Apple iPhone, right? It would just be like your traditional talk show one, right? Like, let's talk about that or whatever, some bootstrap thing or whatever. But we're just discussing a topic. We're not like going into who you are and all that stuff. And kind of a cast of characters, like I, I like the idea of like a rote, like a like a, a group of people who sort of like rotate back in, and you're yeah, you know, exactly again, you know. something like that. I think. I, I think one of my issues with that is that the publishing cadence has a formality to it. Like there's a new episode, and it's probably a week old when you launch it or when you publish it. And that feels disconnected from the casual, let's just have a conversation. Because you got to come up with something, yeah. Well, and then, it, and then it goes by for a week. I don't know. It's just, there's something about the formality around like the weekly publishing cadence as opposed to just making it more disposable. Mm. Well, that's kind of interesting too, yeah. Right. Here's a tweet that we recorded something for half an hour. It's just not treated like this big event. I, I like the concept around Clubhouse is the live version of that. And you could see how Clubhouse at some point you just kind of hit record and then you just publish the, the conversation. It feels more disposable. I use the I'll keep using the word disposable because I'm working with a product designer now and he, he constantly <laughs> <set up. laughs> uh, Yeah. Yeah. Something like that where it's just like I'm on right now, come on. Or so like even if it was like office hours, like I'm live right now. Who wants to show up and chat? Like that kind of thing would be kind of cool too. Um, and I have thought about that also. Yeah, we should maybe do that. That could be interesting. There's a definitely a Clubhouse competitor. I'm is it Circle App or something like that? I, I think I'm misremembering, but I think there is a, a Clubhouse competitor. Clubhouse I tweeted about and said that it was it like jumped the shark from like being exclusive to just being annoying that you can't get in, and now you're resentful. And then of course I got an invite on DM a, a minute later, <laughs> but I, ha I haven't logged in yet. I haven't even looked into what it is. Like I saw that tweet you sent and I, was, I like looked at it for a second, but I honestly don't even remember what it is now. Like, is it like a Slack competitor or something? I haven't no, no, heard anything about it since, what was it, a purchase? Like The, the, the fundraise, the, yeah, the, fundraise. the Series A where the founders took money. Yeah, off like the that Clubhouse news when that happened a few weeks back. And then Hey app, you know, the Basecamp email thing. Like these are things that were like literally all over Twitter at least and all over the internet for like a week when that news broke. And I haven't heard about anything about them since. And I haven't even, honestly, I don't know how many people are using Hey today, but I haven't seen like any 
hey email addresses in my inbox you know that thing will be abandoned that'll be abandoned soon enough they're they're pushing on it i just saw that they're hiring for it now and they're going to launch hey for business i mean uh, oh i'm sure they've got a solid instantly solid SaaS right there but it just it, it doesn't seem like it's it's a widespread thing you, know. you only need a certain number of geeks, right? If they get a decent percentage of the geek circle, then obviously that would be sufficient. But you know what? The thing with the company like that to me is just like, they're going to get bored. Like if it doesn't make a tremendous amount of money, then it's like either A, not worth doing and or it's just boring. So, and you know, Basecamp makes a freaking tremendous amount of money. So I just feel like it's got to really make a lot of money. You know, they used to have another email thing that was like, blast emails to your family kind of thing. And it was like 10 bucks a year or something crazy like that. And I got abandoned. You know, like They've literally abandoned everything they've ever done except for Basecamp pretty much. So I don't know. I, w- I, mean, I mean, whatever. It could, it could go right. Yeah, that things. Yeah. Hyrus was a cool product. I, I do wonder though, if they've gone all the way around where they're making enough money that they're actually not trying to build another big business. And it becomes slightly ideological because they are ideological. And so to just work on, hey, for the next 10 years because it's enjoyable and it makes a dent in the internet the way they want it to go, I could see that happen. Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I buy it, but you know. Yeah. Hey, I mean, yeah, and, and it's like how how many uh, how many years, how many decades can you keep pushing into project management software when that space just gets so, it, it's just so so big and so competitive. I mean, yeah, I feel like I could keep building like really custom homes in beautiful places around the world, though, and keep buying cars. I, I can do that for a long time. I actually think project management is way better than hey, just in terms of like. There's always new companies. There's always companies that are growing and need solutions to organizing things. And like, that's just ever growing. Whereas I don't know, like how about the market for like people who want to pay a hundred bucks a year for their email when there's like really good solutions and that are free. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's an ever growing market. The business one, maybe like maybe the business one will be where it's at and that'll be like obvious because it's like so much better than your outlook in some way or whatever. But um, I don't know. You know, what's funny about like, everybody loves to hate on the Googles and Facebooks and like, you know, you're the product. If, if the product is free, you are the product. You're getting all these ads. They're seeing all your data and stuff. I resonate with all that, but not so much that I'm going to stop using Gmail. Like, <laughs> you know, and like, make me the product, baby. Make me the product. I mean, <laughs> I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I'm completely using Google's products and, and a yes. lot of them are amazing. You know, if people are still using Facebook after all the things they've done, it's, it's pretty sticky. The, the, the hidden cost of privacy just does not rise to the level of abandoning things that you used to using. I just think also internet geeks doesn't really resonate with a lot of us that like nobody gives a shit. Like nobody cares about their privacy. You know what I mean? Like not on the level... Not on the level required to like pay a hundred dollars a year for email or to stop using Facebook or all those things. Like they're they're they don't feel like they have a lot to hide and they're not that worried about it. And you know, for the most part, they're generally probably right. Although obviously there's sort of the bigger picture. If you're more geek oriented, like there's bigger possible abuses. I don't know. I just don't think people want to pay for stuff when good stuff is free. <laughs> That's a powerful. Yeah, and, and it's also like the experience and how entrenched you, like you personally are in using a tool for like, like literally I have 15 years of search archives in my Gmail that I, I can't just leave that. You know, you mentioned something Ian, just a, a few minutes ago about like, you know, a company like Basecamp, like at, at a certain point, like, do they get bored hammering on the same product? And I mean, that, that made me think of, of you with like HelpSpot. You've had HelpSpot for what? Well over 10 years now, right? I mean, yeah, 15 years, 15 years. Uh, it's gone through different iterations and stuff, but, but, you know, then you, you've had a few, you know, like thermostat and stuff like I'm, I'm curious, have you ever run into that? Like, like th- this many years in with, with HelpSpot, like where do you get bored and what have you done about it? Oh yeah. Super bored. <laughs> <laughs> Super bored. That's why, like, I mean, the longest job I ever had before HelpSpot was three years and this is 15 years. So, you know, I'm definitely bored. At time. And then being a software developer, it's like constantly have all these ideas. Every little annoyance is like, I, I could build a product to solve that annoyance. Right? So like, <laughs> um, <laughs> right, exactly. It happens to me every, if I, if it only happens to me like once a week, that's like a total win. Usually it's like twice in a day. I'll be like, oh man, like this thing stinks. I should build a better version of that. 
Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, that's where like it's kind of like goes back to what with base camp, right? Like, uh, and this is my situation is actually a really beautiful example because like I got bored and we built thermostat, which is you know an MPS tool, and that doesn't make that much money. And so it's like, okay, like we still run it, but it doesn't get much attention. And it's fine and it works and it's not like in a broken state or anything. And when there's bugs, we fix them. But it mostly just sits there because I can work on the thing that makes a lot of money or I can work on the thing that doesn't. And I'm definitely not to the wealth level of like a Jason Fried where maybe I could consider like I don't care about the money at all. Um, you know, I'm just doing this for the good of the world type thing. So yeah, so it's like it ends up being a fairly easy decision. And then we try to do other projects and things to kind of get that sort of creativity out. I'm I'm curious then like with with Thermostat because it's been a couple of years since you started and and you you have like launched that out and, and given where where that is at as a product today like was it still worth doing was it still worth like taking some time away from from HelpSpot to to do a, a side a side thing like that yeah I think so because it's not that much time like so I didn't you know so it was like three months then like another month or two with like some people out here and like. So we are in 15 year scale, right, of the business, uh, we took six months total and messed around with something else and it still makes money. So like, it's just sitting there making money and not costing us really anything other than some server stuff. So it's, it's fine. And I don't regret it. It's not like that kind of thing. I think I, I feel like it, it, like the being able to like flex that muscle like that, that's worth it in itself just to go. Yeah. It's a creative release valve. Yeah. Yep. Like we had another product called Snappy, uh, which that is more regret. That was like six years ago. We, we built that and that thing was a disaster because <laughs> I had a lot of the team working on it. So it's like, you know, we spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and then, you know, we ended up just like selling it for, you know, not hundreds of thousands of dollars and the time and effort and all that stuff. So that was definitely harder I wish I learned from that because like with thermostat, I didn't make those mistakes. It's like, I have this little interesting idea. I'm just going to build up the first version myself because I'm kind of bored anyway at this moment. And, you know, we spend a little time to polish it up with the team after I got it to a certain point and then whatever, we'll see what happens. But there's not like a lot riding on it necessarily. And it's still, you know, it still grows very incrementally. And who knows, like it could be a MailChimp type thing where they let MailChimp sit there for three or four years. And then, then it was making 50 grand and then it was making... 200 grand and they were like, oh, like maybe we should pay attention to this. So like, I think with SaaS, it's kind of easy now. It's nice because like you can build stuff quick and it, once it's built, it can kind of sit and just exist. Not optimal, but it, if it's possible and if you do a little bit of work on like SEO, you could just let it sit there and it'll kind of grow doing nothing. So that's like uh, a possibility with SaaS. I mean, I look at like Sunrise KPI, that I worked on what like a year and a half ago to, to basically build and, and launch that thing. And I more or less haven't touched it since at all. Like no, no marketing, no new code, no new features. It, it makes almost no money, but it still gets signups every day and occasionally some, some questions about it. But, I, but it was, for me, it was like a, a, the first real app that I built. So I learned a ton right. building it. Yeah. That's even got a, se- a secondary benefit there. I, I see it as like a little product that like, I don't, I don't really have any plans to touch it anytime soon, but like it's there and it's not dead and, there, and it has some potential. Like, I, like who knows? Like, it's just something that's just there, you know? Yeah. And who knows? Like, whatever. At some point, if you like needed money, you could sell it for five grand or something. You know, it has value even just, you could sell it tomorrow for some amount of money. And uh, so it's like, it's still an asset that you have that exists and is valuable. For the record, I'm not. I'm not looking to sell that. So, I, <laughs> send I, your offers. Send I, your offers. I've, I've had a few DMs about that. I, I don't want to sell that. I, I like yeah. that. <laughs> we just killed an asset. It was a pretty interesting, like, thought exercise to the whole thing. So, if we recall, Carthook started off as a card abandonment app, and because of the nature of the product being pretty set it and forget it, and that it made you money every month, people just did not cancel for years. And we, we still had somewhere in the area of like, I think it was like six or seven K in MRR, but it was just sitting there. Now we have, we're sunsetting two products. So it's like way down. 
right? With the, our current checkout product is, it's not going to be sunset anytime soon, but it's like, it's now like in amber, right? We'll continue to work on a maintenance, but it's not going to keep moving forward that much because we're working on a new app. So we were like, okay, we, we, we can't do three apps. That's just, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> so we, we looked at selling it and it was literally not worth the effort to go through the sale and the handover because it would take a lot of attention away. You, you can't just sell something for hundred grand and say, good luck, like you're on your own. And then we looked at the server costs and everything and it was like three grand. We were like, man, we're just gonna, we're just gonna kill this thing. Like that, that is the best option. And if I think back at how long it took me to get to six or seven K in MRR, oh my God, I cannot <laughs> believe that we're killing All it. But the it, sweat it, in there, yeah. Oh my God. I, I, it's definitely that was more the, than a year. That was the basis for Cardhook, the company. I mean, without yes. that, you wouldn't, you know. Yes, that's a very strange feeling. It's just like two years of work, 18 months of whatever, how long it took to get there. It's just like make the calculation. Does not make sense. Where in, in other contexts, well, why, why would you do that? You would leave it alone. But we, leaving it running and the security risk around that and the reputational risk of the domain, all that stuff was was yeah. is not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I think in your situation especially is a little bit different than mine where it's like, I've had this thing forever. We grow a little bit every year. Um, there's not a lot of pressure necessarily to, you know, I can just do whatever I want. Like I, so there's not that pressure there. There's not all these other kind of stakeholders involved exactly as you have. So I think when you have that, like a little more pressure to be growing a little more, you have the, the whole uh, Shopify relationship, which is like a whole weird third party stakeholder relationship to manage and stuff. So yeah, like having just an, a thing out there making a few bucks, but exactly like it gets hacked or something. And even though it's not your, your real product at this point, like that could be devastating for no reason at all to make 30 grand a year. So it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You looked at it like, oh, we're still sending like 10,000 emails a day. Like, where are those emails going? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we got all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, a smart, smart way to play it there for sure. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever, we've shut down some other stuff too. What the heck? Or we've had definitely things that like didn't, didn't kind of go anywhere. I don't know. There's been like so many things over the years here, but, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> can you tell us what it's like? 15 years, you know, that's uh, very, very, upper end of software companies, uh, SaaS, yeah, especially you, you weren't always SaaS. Like how are things yeah. now? How many people are you? How involved are you personally in the things that you used to be involved in? Like what's, what's your role at this point? 15 years. In? I'm still pretty involved because there's only five people who work at the company and my wife is one of them. She's not really that involved. And we have like some part-time people, whatever. So there's like kind of four people full-time in it every day. And so we were a little bigger at one point, but then they kind of attritioned off. That, that's a beautiful thing to have have a software company like this many years, just that small, you know, remote. It's beautiful. I just haven't wanted to. I mean, there's like so much that it could have been bigger at different points. It's like, I don't know. I've never had that drive. It's like we made enough money and it's like the stress of getting to that next level is like, are we going to really try to compete with Zendesk on like Zendesk's terms and like try to have social integration and voice over IP and all the stuff that that would require. Eh, I don't know, you know, and so, yeah, I've just been mostly been content. And then I have my other excursions, right? Like I'll build a thermostat or like we got super involved in Laravel and we run Laravel conferences and like, so like we'll do these other things with that time rather than trying to make help spot a lot bigger or something like that. So there's definitely times where I wouldn't mind it being a little bit bigger because like at times I'm probably maybe a little more involved than I might under optimal conditions uh, be. But yeah, I mean, I'm still in the code uh, from time to time anyway. I don't do a lot of the heavy lifting there, but I am sometimes. I like to talk to friends who have these like 10 plus year SaaS businesses. I'm curious to know in, in like the help spot product, what does feature development look like today when you're this well-established? as yeah. a product in the market and everything like, cause I, I think about it with process kit and I'm, I'm constantly in a, in a day-to-day -day battle over, do I work on feature a feature B feature C, which one is going to move the needle on conversions, which one is going to, you know, make the product better fit the, fit the roadmap. Like I've got a ton of features that I'm weighing and, and but like, what does that sort of thing look like? this many years in like, it does it, does that calm down at a certain point? Like it does calm down a fair amount. Well, Yes and no. It's just different, not really calmer. Because we've had these big chunks of years in here. Like the first like eight years, 
six to eight years were kind of like you're describing, where it's just like people want features, we're giving them features, people want features, giving them features, 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 features. And that's how like you do the big new release and then you get more customers because you added the features that you didn't have and that people wanted and all that stuff. You know, then we kind of hit this like, do we become Zendesk thing? And then it's like, well, now I don't want to build those features. So like, I'm not going to build you voice over IP or whatever. So like, so now there's, we have a lot less, like we're pretty happy with like the product we have generally. You know, we're in the middle, we just launched a beta on HelpSpot 5 the other day, and there's a bunch of big new features in there. So it's not like there's no room for improvement or features, but it is definitely different than early on where it's like huge, gigantic features you're just slinging around all the time. Like a lot of these are a little more subtle, like a new authentication mechanism or keeping up with industry standards in different ways and stuff like that. So yeah, we kind of hit that point where you unless you're going to move the product to like a different market or, you know, try to take on a bigger chunk of the market, then it changes a little bit. And for us, you know, HubSpot was like my first big product. It was like built in the ancient days. Right. So like we had like a couple of years where we did nothing but convert it to UTF-8 because it didn't support UTF-8. And that was like a multi-year project, which now right, your app is UTF-8 just out of the box. Like you do nothing and it all works in Japanese just fine. Right. And whatever. So uh, so that was like a huge project, you know, it was on premise. So we spent a couple of years building out the cloud version so we could offer it as a SaaS in addition to still letting people run it on premise. So that was a big project. Um, so we've had those kind of like more infrastructure or underlying technology sort of projects that have just gone on for, you know, years at a time, basically. Cause when you're as small as us and you're also supporting a lot of customers, and, you know, our developers work with the customers too. So they'll get pulled off of coding to work on some weird thing with a customer. Obviously it's gone through a ton of iteration, but like, has it always been basically the same code base with incremental improvements over the years or, or was it like, all right, we're doing version two now and then version three and then, you know. Yeah. So it's the same code base. Basically it's, I mean, it's radically different, but there's a lot of the code that's 15 years old or close to it. It's not like not like the Basecamp model where they spend two years working on the next version of Basecamp and then I do like that it. model. So like I that's an interesting thing. That's I'm not a huge Basecamp guy, but that I love. Like that's one of their things that they've come up with that I really enjoy. So whatever, like six years ago or something, we were gonna like just redo the whole rebuild it from the ground up. Like new stack, the whole thing, all the code new. And we started that. And I don't know, it just lost momentum. Like it was just going to take forever. And because there's just so much weird knowledge in the code of HelpSpot. It's like every little thing that like we've worked on over the years, every little edge case. And you just start to get in there digging around with that. And you're like, ah, oh, like that's going to mean we can't ship a new version of HelpSpot. Like if, you know, it's going to be years to build that. And you get into this weird thing of like, but we're not improving the, the mainline product. So can that idea, but I do think we're, kind of coming up on a point now where we've done a lot of the big infrastructure stuff. And that is something I'm going to think about a little bit is that idea of like, could we do a new version that's like quasi, like it has the same ideas and it's like you have a compatibility later so you can move people over, but you can also get rid of a lot of old stuff that, you know, maybe doesn't apply anymore or where you know it's bad and it's hard to rethink it given, you know, we have a bunch of customers using it and they don't want a whole new way of doing X, Y, Z. But if we have a new version and we still run the old version, that's a little more possible. So yeah, I do like that idea a lot. Is, is that what Basecamp does? Yeah, right now they're on Basecamp 3, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can run Basecamp 2 for a while and then before- yeah, they, Well, they don't let you buy Basecamp 2, right? So all new customers are Basecamp 3. But if you're on Basecamp 1, like there's customers still on Basecamp 1. And they just still maintain Basecamp 1 forever. Now, they don't add features to it. And I, they probably do security fixes, but like that would be it. So there's like just security fixes. There's Basecamp 2, just security fixes. But if you look at them, like they are different. They're very different products, mm -hmm. at least from the UI standpoint. They take different approaches. Different approaches each time. Like especially 3 is, is like a pretty big UI change from, from Basecamp 2. Yeah, very big. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, we we just had a similar experience where we had to we had to build a new app, so start from scratch, but all all of the concepts and learnings. So 
we were able to do it obviously in a much shorter amount of time. It was fun to tackle things that we didn't like the way we did them originally and they just had to stick with them. That was cool to address. Like we don't want a tagging system. We want a criteria system. So don't build a tagging system. (laughs) And then you guys had that kind of cool thing where like, you know, you have a deadline, like, and if you meet that deadline, it's going to be awesome for you. So there's like some interesting, it is a super, (laughs) I don't like the idea of the stress of that, but I do like the idea of like, it's not just like rebuilding your app and the abstract, and then it's going to launch one day on the same website you have now, essentially. And, you know, the same number of trials will sign up as signed up yesterday. And maybe you convert a few more, but it's like a very long-term thing. Like this is like, no, like if we hit this, like this is going to be huge for us if we can do this in this time. Yes, (laughs) which was necessary with the intensity came the motivation of the deadline and not just to finish it, but actually get benefit from hitting the deadline. So, so that was cool. And I would say the team that did it, we could not keep up this intensity for very long. So I definitely had to telegraph to everyone, like, cause the, most of that team was totally new. And so we had to <laughs> telegraph to wild. them, like, you know, this is not normal. <laughs> like the, right, we're just going right, to get right. through it. And like everyone come back down to, to what a normal cadence can look like. And it's definitely been the most intense on rock because as CTO and also he built the base of the new app because he was the right person to do it. And some of the, most of the people that we were hiring for the team were totally new. So they needed to work off of a base that made sense as opposed to like asking them to build a base that quickly. Yeah. And, that would be way hard. Right. It's, it's asking too much, but I think looking back on it, I can see it now that rock's doing the best work he's ever done. Because it's like all that learning and then just super intense, focused period of output. And I think for him, he's also moving apartments. He's kind of like, this is, I need a, a vacation. COVID, and, like the whole And I'm thing. looking at it like, this is the most amazing performance I've, I've seen. So I, I think looking back on it, he'll be very, very happy about it. But in the middle of it, it's, it's pretty intense. It's got to be such a payoff to go through years of like frustrations with different features and, and, and legacy code and, and different people have come in and out of the company and, uh, and then like to, to have like a clean slate to just do everything to, to solve all those problems in one shot. That's, that's gotta be pretty, uh, yes, pretty satisfying. Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And to be like official too. Cause I feel like every time I listen to your guys podcast, I'm always like, Oh man, Jordan, like, Oh man, <laughs> like this is like, I'm scared for you, buddy. Like I'm scared for you. This is like, just, it's just got the big beast out there just waiting to stomp on you at any moment. Like, and you're, you're, you know, you could tell that your guys are doing better and it's growing. It's like, I'm just like, Oh no. Like this yes, is the yes. part of the movie where like, they just come <laughs> in and say, now we offer this goodbye. And yes. that's just it. So that you like navigated that and, and avoided disaster. It was just like, yes, amazing. it was an intense game of chicken. And and as, you know, as it gets closer to the collision, you're, you're really not sure how that's going to work out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause we we are, we are happy and and relieved. I mean, it's, it's not over. We still have to get in. We have to compete. There'll be more competition, all the stuff. It'll be harder to differentiate. When does it like open up and. Oh, it's real soon. End of this month, end of October. It's, it's, it's geared to be in time for black Friday. That's, that's the goal. And so when it launches at the end of October, People can jump on it, get it in their stores. Like the other app, you had to switch your payment processing. You had to redo your tracking. You had to redo all of your integrations. It was a big lift. You couldn't just do it in a day. This is sign up for it by that same day. You have post-purchase offers running through your your Shopify checkout. So it's just a very different nature of it. I did a podcast yesterday with, with Jane Portman about onboarding. And I was like, this is like a conclusion to a story. Like everything <laughs> I'm going to talk about is no longer relevant at all. And we're about to start the whole journey again on figuring out what the right onboarding is, right? Because onboarding is not, this is the ideal onboarding. It is, this is the ideal onboarding for us, for your situation, your positioning, your pricing, your product market, all these other things. So we're, we're, about, we're about to figure all that stuff out again. <laughs> Even just think about your app, though, like from a technology kind of CTO perspective, it seems really nice because like the old app, like must just be so huge compared to the new one, just because it has to handle so much more that now you can just be on top of, you know, you could depend on Shopify for a lot more than before. So that's like just maintaining that, how fast you can move, like it's going to have a lot of advantages there, even if, yes, there's like way more competition and all those things too, but uh, it's kind of nice in that regard. Like what's it called? The surface area. 
Right. The right. surface area of the last product was like an infinite desk. It just went right. on forever <laughs> exactly. from payments on this side to integrations and email and SMS. And it was just wild all to accomplish something relatively narrow. And now finally we get to strip out everything except that narrow value and that's it. So that's, that, that's exciting. It's, it doesn't, it's not all perfect. There's, there's additional issues to deal with, but it is a, is a relief to just, stop being able to do that. And it's not like, it's not like that goes away. Like we learned a lot from that and we bring that, we bring that in, but it's definitely a much easier, it's going to be a much easier product to run. Yeah. Who wants to build? I mean, anybody's built a billing system knows you don't want to build a billing system. Like that's like the worst thing in the world to build a billing system. Like a live billing system with shoppers doing like $3 million a day. And like, your customers are dependent on the billing system you built. That's like a a whole nother level of stress of billing system there for sure. Yes. Yes. We did not, we did not really know what we were getting into. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. I'm interested to hear that that conversation with Jane because I've just been like hammering my head against the desk with with the onboarding problem, trying to solve that for the last few months, and, and still working on it the future couple months. And like, it's funny because like early on, designing like process kit, I, I have all these opinions about what I think a, an app onboarding experience should or shouldn't be, and and same thing with like designing certain screens in, in the app. And then after a while, you, you run into these like issues with customers like, well, I, I generally have been against like the idea of having like a wizard where you sort of like take over the screen and, and get brand new users, get the key information from them all set up so that they can get going quickly. I, I've been against that whole idea because I think you, you should just design your interface to be user-friendly and they can figure it out on their own. And now I'm like, now I'm designing a wizard, you know? Like, yes, yes. Like, you know. Are you guys yeah. ready for a, a landsman hot take here? A, co- a yes. controversial take on this here? Oh no. Okay, here, here's my <laughs> controversial take. And listen, you're getting advice from somebody who's had like one big successful app. Uh, so, you know, take this all with a grain of salt. But, I am not a big believer in anywhere resembling early on, like really even thinking about onboarding at all. Like I just don't believe in onboarding very much early on uh, because I just think... You have to get the problem right at first. Yeah, I just think you have to get the problem right. I'm so much more worried about like the top of the funnel. Like I just want to get more people in and get those good people. It's like, I think I'm not your last, I don't know, I think you guys released a podcast yesterday. I haven't listened to it. But the week before, like how you were talking about how like people who are good fits, like end up still not buying, even though they're like, you know, they're perfect. And like, they're a perfect agency and all that stuff. Like, I just think there's like, you just need a certain volume and like, you can't optimize, like the getting a few more people through onboarding isn't as beneficial as doubling the top of the funnel. I feel like early on, as well as having the product get better. And like onboarding is such a mess. You try the wizard and that doesn't work. Then you try the other thing and that doesn't work. And you try the other thing and that doesn't work. And ultimately the people who like really click with your product they would like download it and install it, right? Like they don't even give a shit about the onboarding. So that's the thing. I definitely agree with you that like onboarding should not be the thing early on in a, in a SaaS product. Like it's really about that product market fit, the problem that you're solving. Are you solving a clear problem and all that? Well, for Process Kit, it has customers and those, those paying customers have made it on board without any bells and whistles in the onboarding process. But the, the problem that I see is, is just looking at how much work and how much time it took to get those people converted. And some of them did all that work themselves. A lot of them, I had to do multiple calls with them and lot, lots and lots of email support. You know, and, and it's not like I'm against talking to customers. It's just there was a ton of friction to get a pretty small percentage converted. And I, I see that as like a, a problem, you know. You're saying that's not onboarding. No, he's saying the onboarding is the problem and that it takes a lot of work to onboard them. Right. You're saying it's not about the onboarding, it's about the solution. Me, yes. That's part of it too, for sure. Well, I also think it's also, is it a solution that like better onboarding just can't solve, right? Like that a human walking them through it is just better than any wizard like thing that could ever be built. You know what I mean? Because it's a complicated thing to move your Google Docs and your Asana list and all this crap you have everywhere, jerry-rigged together and put it into this solution that like 
a human in the middle is just a better way to do it. Not that you have to be that human, but a human involved is actually superior. Um, I mean, that that could be true. It's not it's not true for every customer, but yeah. it's still just a lot of work, even if you understand the product, how how it works. You know, right. it's still it's still just a lot of work to set up your processes and design them and and write them and and all that. And then invite your team, get them on board. I also look at onboarding. It is about the product too and and what it does. Like, so how fast can you get somebody to that moment of value? Right. And, and that has to do with, with the small set of features that are most important and the market that you're solving, how clear the, uh, the job to be done is that you're, that you're solving for. And that's when I say I'm working on onboarding. Yeah. I'm thinking about like improvements on the, first few screens that they see but but really i'm thinking about like the set of features that solves a very specific problem for customers so that i can get them to solve that problem on day one and see it much much faster yes i mean having the features that are really required to really solve the problem correctly is like totally i like i don't call that onboarding exactly but like getting to a level of feature completeness where you're handling the 80% of cases is definitely super valuable. And that was the thing that like early on in process kit, when I was just thinking about it as a, as a business idea, not that I wouldn't have done process kit and I still really believe in it, but I didn't expect this to be such a thorny thing to overcome. Yeah. <laughs> itself. Yeah. It could always benefit from more top of the funnel, but even right now, before a lot of our marketing stuff has kicked in and, and published, like we're getting a steady amount of organic trials and, and leads every every month. The onboarding, I, I've talked about it in previous episodes. It's just like, like I feel like I should have seen it seen this coming. Like how much work it really is to get your company on board with a whole new system like that. Onboarding is one of the levers, but there are other levers. What Ian said certainly rings true in in the Cardiac experience. When we made our big change in June of 2019, we had $100,000 in potential MRR signing up in trials every month. We, we thought we had an onboarding problem. And once we got it, we would explode. We just couldn't, we couldn't fix it. And at some point we admitted defeat. And so we switched from trials to requiring an application process and a demo. We didn't change the product or the onboarding at all. None of the screens changed and we raised the price significantly. So the positioning changed and we used those levers. We didn't touch the onboarding lever, literally nothing changed in the product. So Brian, if you look at your situation right now, if you, there are other levers. If you took your pricing and added, added pricing significantly or had like a minimum or something and then required a process, you could not change the product in any way, but change the dynamic. I was talking to a friend uh, yesterday about about that. Like, like, what if you just increase the price or, or add a a significant setup fee, or both? It's something that I'm open to, and I and I have been selling uh, an implementation service with Process Kit. I sold it to a handful of customers so far, and what I what I learned with that, and maybe it's maybe it's because it's too low priced. I've been charging um, as like a quote unquote like introductory rate, five hundred. Uh, setup fee, totally optional, and a handful of customers have have gone for that. Where I I basically work with them directly on a couple of calls. We we design your processes, get you set up, and I actually found that those customers have not been the best fits for process. Some some of them have been good, but but a couple of them have churned out even after paying the setup fee and, and going through that. But again, like that could be a top of funnel thing, and and like if what if what if I made it like a a three thousand dollar setup fee. And it's like a, a different cell and a different type of market that I would bring that to. But also, I mean, I guess to me, I don't like, I, I'm not a big fan of the setup fee because to me, software is all like volume. I would rather have a person, which maybe not, you know, if you have enough revenue to like hire somebody, even if it makes. Well, that, that would be the idea. I, right? I definitely Let's just say wouldn't. it makes process kit not profitable or close to profitable because you have obviously other businesses and all that stuff. I don't know. I just think I'd rather have somebody working there, working on it, whether it's you or somebody else, bringing people on for free. And even though you're going to lose some of those people and that will have been wasted effort, I think it doesn't matter because you, the people you get in there who stay, and if you make it easy for them to come in, they're going to pay you. I mean, we have people who paid us literally for 15 years, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't ever hear from them. I think that there's that end of it. And then there's the other end on the top, which is like, 
yeah, you're only ever going to convert a few percent in software. Like that's the thing. I was like, you know, like no matter how good you get that onboarding, like you're only going to ever have so much, you're not going to convert 50% or 60% to like paid who stay any length of time. Like it just doesn't happen for anybody anywhere. It's assuming a trial. Is that what you mean by volume as in software is like a volume business? Like you need yeah, more trials like, and you're going to need more some, trials. But- and then, you know, you're losing people all along the way. And then at the end you get the people who stay and that's it. And I think like, and after they've gone, kit, after they've gone through the work of getting themselves set up, they're, they're invested in it in terms of their time. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I want, I want to disagree. I'm just trying to come up with the right argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that Jordan said that I think is really applicable here too, which we don't have to deal with this. You have a little more opportunity here, I think, Brian, although it's more work, of course. So one of the interesting things with HelpSpot is that everybody essentially needs help desk software for their business or organization. Everybody essentially knows what it is. So I don't have to teach anybody anything about help desk software, right? And so they're already coming in with a ton of like domain knowledge about what this type of software already is, which is sort of an interesting spot, I think, in the process stuff, because that's not true for process kit. But if you kind of become the like way people find out that this exists, I just feel like they're going to default to you being the like, oh, well, these are the guys like who, who introduced me to this type of software. I trust them. Even if your software doesn't do all the stuff that like it could or it should or whatever, like there's just going to be that trust there because um, you brought them in kind of at the top of the funnel, which is a lot more work. But. I think the direction I'm going on that point is that there are competitors who have a very similar uh, feature set yeah, to course. process kit. But the, mm-hmm. but the differentiator that I'm trying to double down on right now is like, we are the thing made for a client services agency, especially, especially the type of agency, which are mostly marketing agencies, the type of one that, that are very repeatable, that, that intend to scale up their, their growth. Like they're, they're not the small like boutique design shop who just does a few big projects a year. They're the, uh, SEO or marketing content, social media ads agencies who just have these retainers and they want to onboard as many customers as possible and grow their teams. And it's all, they're just running their process over and over. And, and there's a lot of them like that. Like, like, I don't just mean productized services. Like there's just a ton of marketing agencies in the world who, who work that way. And both of the cold stuff's going to be good for you too. I think once you get that really going, like that seems like it could be effective for this particular case. I, I don't know if this was like just an off week or something, but like it, it's still running to this day. It's been about a month-ish, like four or five weeks of, of automated, you know, handful of cold emails going out every day. Same target list, same emails. It's a lower response rate in the last like two weeks. And I don't really know why, but it's, I want to I see it run for a few more weeks and see if this continues. But like, Nothing really has changed, so I don't know. <laughs> Could check deliverability uh, if like the something like that, maybe. Yeah. But you're not sending out that many emails, so I would doubt you're really caught up in like that much of a dis- deliverability issue. It's not like you sent out 300,000 or millions or whatever, and so I wouldn't think that would be it, but... Could be, I could just, it's such a small sample, could totally just be random, you know, or time of year, or people have other issues going on or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on uh, uh, content, which which has started to roll out now. But the plan would be over the next few months to to really try to promote this content and do more, uh, you know, like link building to it and and try to do a little bit more SEO traffic. We'll we'll see how that plays yeah, out. Yeah, get the SEO. The SEO is critical. I'm a big SEO fan. I ignore it exists. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, for your stuff, it's a, it's a whole different world, especially now that you're going to, the new thing, it's totally irrelevant. You're going into like the Shopify app store arena, just battle yeah. it out in there. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is we, we are redesigning our website that most people aren't going to see, <laughs> but it's still right. important. <laughs> yeah. You got to have a website regardless. You got to have a website. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to try to optimize a site though, to send people to the app store listing. That's a different thing than like your your own sign up process. So that you're like building up this trust and credibility because you can't do that the same way inside of an app store listing. And then you you look at the app store listing and and it's pretty narrow your creative space. So like you, you gotta have a video and you you gotta make the screenshots look amazing and you gotta you know use whatever formatting is available. 
Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I'm sure the website will still be important for you, even though it won't be like yeah. the primary driver. It's definitely going to be an important aspect. Yeah, still for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and especially with that, where people are going to be spending a lot of money with you, like they're a little more inclined to like probably go and search out the website and see if you are legitimate than you know some whole- other thing that's like a little tiny whatever does some little thing in your Shopify store who cares it's 10 bucks a month great like uh when you're giving somebody a percent a percentage then you want to know what's going on with them and if they seem legit yes yeah that that's the hope the hope is that even if there's a lot of competition that if if branding is one of the only ways you can separate yourself you you better invest in branding yeah do you have uh brian do you have like competitors who charge a lot or is everybody kind of at normal SaaS pricing normal SaaS pricing and and process kit it's in, in the same ballpark as all of them. Some some of them offer, so it depends on who you consider a direct competitor or a semi-direct competitor, you know, cause you could say it's in the same ballpark as like Asana and, and Basecamp and Trello and Google. But, but the, then there's like other ones that have like per seat pricing with no free option, which is in the same ballpark as, as process kit. You know, everyone's like slightly different structure. Like, like with process kit, I just didn't want to have many one seater customers. So the the base plan is 49 a month and that gives you three seats and then it's 19 per user for your fourth and up. And I think that has helped. I, I like that model to just just basically stake out like this is for teams. If you're solo, it's just it's not for you, you know? Yeah, I definitely like that. Yeah, I was just curious, like because it's like yeah, if you have people like a lot higher in price, it's kind of int- there's other interesting things there, but I don't think you really have that. Like uh, in my conversations with with many people, they start to add up the two or three tools that they pay for that they stitch together that they would maybe replace with with Process Kit. And for a team of like five to ten people, some are a little bit more than that. The solutions that they're paying for that Process Kit solves, they're, they're paying a couple hundred a month. I don't know if we've ever thought, if we talked about this, I don't know if we ever did, but like, it does feel kind of to me like it could be sort of interesting if you had like a base camp pricing as like an experiment at some point, if you wanted to like, yeah, just flat, like it's unlimited users because like, we just want your whole team in here, no matter what. And we don't want you to like, right now you have to think about when you add a person and you go to here and it adds money on a song and this with us, like you don't think about anything like 200 bucks a month, get everything. That's it. Uh, or yeah, maybe there's a couple tiers or maybe that goes up to a thousand because there's some like. Well, I've heard a lot of feedback. I, I asked for a lot of feedback on the on the per user pricing model. And a few people were like, I don't, I don't love it. But in what people dislike even more actually is because a lot of these agencies, they sort of expect that most of these tools like this are per user. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with per user just because everything's per user. So you're not like way out there on a limb what they really don't like is when it's buckets of users. So like, oh, I I, I want to add one more person, but it's going to bump me into this next very expensive tier. I don't like that. And then the other thing that I hear a lot is because it's they're working with clients and they want to invite clients in. They don't want to pay for clients. They want unlimited guests. Sure. Yeah. Paying for clients makes sense that they wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Basecamp does the same thing, right? You You can invite whoever you want. Yeah, well, Basecamp, they, as far as I know, they basically, they basically have no mechanism for like expansion oh, right. res- revenue, as, as far as I can no. tell. I mean, they might, at one point they had like a, if you wanted to get like um, invoiced or something, they had some like $3,000 a year plan that was just like, I don't know, gave you some random. Yeah, but, but still but like, like the, the 200 person company is paying the same as the, as the five person company yeah. for Basecamp. Yeah. Um, I, I sell buck. I mean, how about buckets? Just as a counterpoint to that, which definitely occasionally you do have the people who are like, but now I got to go, you know, I have 10 users and if I go to 11, then I have to buy like the 25. Oh, pack. dude, I, I pay, for, I pay for that. And I, and I think about that too. Like, it's actually a, no, it's actually a pain to be honest, because like with audience ops, I'm sorry, Ian, like, like sure, no, go for talk it. about <laughs> that we use one of your, with audience ops, we have a handful of client facing managers, but many more people on the team. And I only pay for those user, those managers in in Help Scout all the time. We need to show a client's email to the writer, you know. So so they gotta like copy and paste the email and throw it into our other place. And like, it would just be nice to have all twenty five people on the team in there. But I kind that's of, what, that's where I end up making that sale. Like, oh, we I mean, pretty much nobody ever doesn't buy because like they had to go over the tier limit into the bigger tier. Um, 
And because you can also always point out that like, yeah, we have these like five people, right. That could have access, but don't. And they're like, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if Bobby was in there. And then like, okay. And then all of a sudden they've already used up half the next year. I mean, at the lowest levels, obviously it's, it's a little more of an issue. Um, like when you go from five to 10 or whatever at the smallest customers, but then once you get past like 10, like we almost never hear any complaints at all. Like that you went from 25 to 50 or 50 to hundred. Like, cause if you have 50 people, like you're, you're never adding just one. Your thing maybe doesn't have as many companies where like you have hundreds of people in it, but there could be a tiering that would work. I like the per user pricing. Um, I like the expansion revenue and that hasn't been as much of a, a pain point for, for me as a business. The next thing that I, I would probably experiment with on the pricing front would be putting credit card up front. Um, Cause right now there's no credit card up front. I don't know how that would play out. I would like to test it at some point because like I've defaulted to no credit card up front because I feel like especially tools like these, almost all of them are, are no credit card up front. I'm starting to think that it would, it would get people to take their trial period more seriously and commit to, to the work of getting it set up. I don't know. Um, it's another thing I'm whole dubious about that whole thing. I don't know. Especially for big, yeah. Like do it or not do it. I don't know. I kind of just don't want to deal with the inevitably there's going to be customers. Yeah. The refunds right after they accidentally converted after, after 14 And like days, we did yeah. it, we tried it with like thermostat or something for a little bit. And it was like, you know, can I just get in? I can't, I can't use my manager's credit card. You know, like this, then you have this whole barrier to entry, especially with bigger organizations where like they just can't sign up with the credit card because they don't have permission to like do it. So I don't know. And I also just feel like the big business process apps like HelpSpot, like Process Kit, like where it's taking over a large chunk of this group. It's just not a decision that's made on that level. It's not like when I go into something and then I just like randomly sign up for it and then I, I pick it. Like it's bigger than that. Like, I mean, maybe not at the smallest Process Kit customer, right? But at the bigger ones, it's not just like a guy rolls in there and was like, oh, now we're using this. It's like a whole thing. They're the team and their demos and talking about it and like the whole thing. That, that's why I've gone with no credit card up front up till now, because it's like, even when I do a deep demo call with them and, and I'm some of them, I, I'll stay on the call for like an hour, screen sharing, showing them everything about Proskit. That's still not enough for them to decide. Like they still no, need to spend not. a week or two playing with it on their yeah. own before they could get yeah, that information at work. Every demo I do is an hour and nobody's in 15 years decided on the demo that they're buying. Like it yeah. just literally has There's, never it's happened. Just, but, it's just too big of a... Yeah, it's too big. The counter example would be like the other day I signed up for, uh, what's it called? Re- Rewardful? Rewardly? Uh-huh. The, yeah, like affiliate. affiliate. Thing. I, mm-hmm. I just wanted to very quickly slap on an affiliate program for Process Kit. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I know how it works. Like, I think that they were credit card up front. I was like, fine. Just I like, think so, it, yeah. Like, let me put my credit card in. If I could solve this problem within an hour, that's great. I'm done. Like, I wish, I, I kind of wish my SaaS was like that, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's where it sort of really makes sense to do the credit card up front when it's just like you solve such a quick, simple problem. Yeah, now I throw this link on my website and the whole thing's done essentially and i don't have to think i don't i don't need a bunch of buy-in from all the other people who work in the company and all that kind of stuff just uh i can make this decision by myself and that's it yeah i mean I don't, the other thing too is to like make sure you keep in touch with all those people that's like we get a lot of people come back later too so i don't know if you have like a good outgoing drip sequence but like we get tons of people sign up later because it takes six months or a year to like, they're like, I was working on this and then we couldn't work on it anymore. And now I'm back six months later. Like, well, because, I, know, I we talked about them. how like, like I'm in that early phase where we're just rapidly shipping features. So at least once or twice a month, I send out a broadcast email. I'm only sending emails about, hey, here's the latest new feature that we, that right. we ship. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and that, that is what brings people back. And it's really common for people to just keep tabs on process kit for like, they trialed it five months ago and then, and then we release some feature and they trial it again and it still doesn't, they still don't convert. And then three months later they come back again and then they convert like that has happened several times. Yeah. It's always hard when you have somebody who has a solution to get them off of that solution uh, is always fairly difficult because it's going to be just a big project for them to move under any scenario, which is kind of like where, again, like the more you can help them with like 
maybe really helping them. I think it's sort of interesting in that regard. We don't like go into their, well, I mean, we have, we'll pretty much do anything to get anybody to move for the most part. Um, the only line we have is if we have to code, then we charge them. But if it's not code, like we'll go in and set up for them. We will help them organize how they should transition, like whatever, all that stuff is just part of what support does. So yeah, there's sort of, there's something interesting there probably with these big things, you know, obviously it's great when you can catch them when they don't have a process. The hard thing about that is like, I, I like doing the close customer support about like how, the features of process kit and how, how you could use different automations. What is really super draining on, on the, and really the, the barrier is consulting with them on how they should design their processes for their business operations, for, for their business goals. Like that's really the hangup is like, you know, even if they've documented stuff in Google Docs, it's not just a one-to-one migration. Sure. It's, it's, right, right. it's a whole you know, you're, it's 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 a it's very similar to to designing drip workflows or Zapier zaps. Like it's you've got to figure out step by step how things should operate in your business. And that's okay. So I, you know. I got an idea for you there. Got an idea. Um <laughs> this is how I solved a similar problem pretty early on. For we saw we had two big problems that were sort of like this, um, that I solved the same way for like the first 10 years of HelpSwap, which is people would want to convert or be interested in HelpSpot. They would want to convert, but they would have a big messy situation of some kind of data thing or they needed an integration with their CRM or something like, they didn't work and we could we didn't want to do it. Or they needed hosting and we didn't want to host. Because uh, at the time, like hosting was being complicated. I didn't want any part of hosting, whatever. I didn't want to be responsible. I didn't know how to run a hosting company, whatever. So for both these things, we just found outside parties. So like for, we had consultants that were not us that we would send people to and they would have a consulting engagement with them. Um, and we didn't even get a kickback. I was like, I don't want a kickback. I don't want anything. I want you to make them happy and move them on the help spot. And the same thing with the hosting. Like, I don't want any money. I mean, I probably could have worked out and gotten 10%, whatever. I don't give a shit. Just go host them. And I don't want to ever hear about hosting problems. And you can make, I'm going to send you these people and that's, you know, great recurring revenue for you. Just host them. Um, so I do wonder if you could like, could you get somebody who's in cons- like, who is a consultant and you could have like, I send everybody to you, you work out deals. You're obviously bringing them the process kit. You're making a consulting fee, like all that kind of stuff to be the consultant. That works for us. All right. So I'm going to be doing some like live brainstorming here on the podcast. Yeah, here we go. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. It's never that. gone wrong. It's never gone wrong. Oh. No, of course. <laughs> but the, um, the, one of the things that I've been thinking a little bit about kicking around the idea of like hiring, I've hired like contract marketers to help with some content stuff here and there. And I've been thinking about hiring for like a, a deeper role, more on like the marketing side. In the last episode, I was talking about like, it would be great if there was, if I had sort of like a collaborator who's just really pushing on the marketing stuff. Anyway, that's one thing that's on my mind, but this onboarding consultant is another need for sure that I would like to get off my plate, but, but still very much, I want it done well. I want to give customers the, that sort of deep expertise and knowledge call it a customer success role, but I feel like it's that on steroids. And I'm thinking about like sort of combining that part marketing, part onboarding consultant. And some of it is like public facing where we're sharing tips and, and best practices and, and stuff, you know, publicly and internally they're working directly with customers. I think that like one expert level person like that, who's like both technical and process oriented, loves systems and, 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 and working with software and but also sort of like marketing chops like they could they could be on a podcast they could do youtube videos they could do webinars on that same sort of stuff i like that idea and the question is like always hard to get the multitasker that's always always tricky possible but hard it's multitask but it's like really the best type of public facing marketing for process kit would be like a process expert sharing tips yeah Well, that's where it's too. It's like almost like I, I see these as like almost you have this spectrum of like doing like what Nathan did with ConvertKit and it's more like onboard, what I would call onboarding specialist who literally is just there like moving. They still have to going to be quite intelligent to figure out the weirdo Google. They're going to have to understand these people process, but they're just moving the process. Like that's a certain kind of person that I'd be inclined to do for free in this scenario. Now there's the other kind of person, which is an actual consultant. 
And they're going to go in and be like, your process stinks and we're going to fix your process. And while we're fixing it, you know, we, we work exclusively with process kit, blah, blah, blah. We'll get you set up in there and it's all great. And then that's a thing where maybe I'm not even involved. Like they're making money, they're doing the engagement and then, um, you know, they're selling process kit as part of that or whatever. So like, or they could work for you too. And you're charging consulting engagements, but I don't have much, I don't have time to build this sort of thing, but I want to, uh, have like a network of consultants because we already have templates in process kit and the ability for you to design your own templates and export them and import them into your clients process kits accounts you know so yeah like whether it's like consultants who make money off of like the affiliate program and then whatever consulting fees they want yeah partner network or something like that is that what you have jordan you have a partner network type thing we've done both so we do we do both right we have success people in-house who that that's their job figuring out what people need. The truth is that they, they only go so far, right? They, they will help like you, like you, you, your line in the sand is like, if we need to code, we need to charge you. So we have our lines in the sand also where at some point, if it turns into, we need strategy, how does this work with our email marketing, all that, that's where we have our partners. Uh, there's one, uh, Will at Seller Flows has done really well for himself becoming a Clavio expert and a Carhook expert. And for using both of those, we just point over to him and say that that's the right firm to get you set up the right way and really take advantage. And, and then the other way around, he has sent us some of our biggest clients. So we always looked at that as a gauge of like product success, where if there were consultants that were making money from being Carhook experts, where we have a Google search, whatever that's called, like alerts, Whenever we see an Upwork uh, or any type of a job posting that includes like cart hook expertise, a plus like that, we see that that's success, that that's, that's progress, that people are seeing us not just as a tool to use for their business, but now if I get good at that tool, I can make a living. My living is improved by being an expert at that tool. That, that's like the ideal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's always great to get to that level. That's, that's, uh, it starts to be self-sustaining. Right. We looked at ClickFunnels was unbelievably successful at that. They grew so quickly and they also attracted people who weren't that, didn't have much expertise on the internet, but wanted to. And then agencies popped up like ClickFunnels agencies specific. And then you had a ClickFunnels certification. And, and that, that to me, that's like the ideal ecosystem. Shopify did the same thing. They have their partner network and their agencies. And that ecosystem is starting to see it now with Notion and Rome and tools that are built on top of it. Have you guys seen a, co- a company called Super? It like supercharges your notion. So you, could, you, have, you can have custom URLs. You can have your blog on different designs affecting. So I, I think those are all signs of it's success. It's almost like, like the product solves problems for customers, but really it's, it's also like, uh, yes, it's, they want it's a product for consultants to build their business right. around. You know? Well, that's what a really interesting thing about process kit, right? Is your primary customers are consultants. So like, while that might not be, while like if you're an SC, if you're like a brand agency, whatever, most, that's fine. Most of the but customers like, are like are like marketing services. Of right. So they're products. not going to necessarily be the right ones. But if as you get a little bit bigger and you come up with some who in-house, maybe just, well, we're, we're going to process kit. Like we love process kit. We could we could be doing more with, you know, you, you could yeah. find the right people. You only need one or two of them to like. I've been in touch with a few like process consultants who expressed interest because they work with clients, but I, I haven't done enough of like targeting them and nurturing them as, as and all that. More of a business but relationship. Yeah. I'm really thinking more about this idea because I've been thinking about hiring more of like a, I don't know if it's a, if it's a full-time hire or a part-time contractor or something to, to fill that role of like, like it's, it's see, to me, it's more than a, than your typical customer success onboarding rep. I've tried seeing like what what a email marketing tool can offer in terms of their like done for you free migrate like concierge service and it's almost like it's, it's to me it was like completely worthless like i you're not designing my my automations like i i could figure out how the features work myself i i, I want you to just like tell me like what to do so i i, I would want this to be a little bit more like working hands-on with the customer as, as I've been doing with customers. Um, but I, I would not like to do that forever. So <laughs> well, there's also just the <laughs> idea of like, like we make a lot of these decisions, which is just we're okay. 
only working with certain types of people. Like if you want this super slick onboarding, like HelpSpot doesn't have super slick onboarding. Like if you're not willing to get in there and like, uh, we don't need a lot of setup. The app itself now, which is sort of different, is like compared to other help desk apps, which are quite complicated in how you actually, once you're in there, what you have to do to like even be able to reply to an email is quite complicated in some of them. Now with HelpSpot, it's like nothing. It's just like, you just do it out of the box. You wouldn't even need to be trained, nothing. Like so, um, but there are other parts of this, like the earlier process of like signing up for a trial and things like that are just, um, they could probably be better, but I'm okay with like the people in some cases maybe need to jump through a hoop uh, or two, or you want to download and run it on Windows, you're going to have to have a Windows person, you know, to, to help you with that. And we, our support will help that person. But like, so, you know, it's like that, that's an aspect of it too. It's, it's your thing and you don't have to work with everybody if they're not. Yeah. I, I see that as an element of like profitable confidence and it's healthy for the company yeah. to have these limits around like, look, you, you, right. Right, HubSpot has a lot of this stuff. Look, you want it, you got to pay annual, you need to work on our timetable, period. That's it. There is an element of that of it does increase the confidence also on the buyer side. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to basically throw $20,000 at the solution and my team's going to be better off. All right. Yeah. Yo, yo gents, I, I got a call. This is like yeah. a regular Zoom call. I think I'm just going to drop out. All right. <laughs> Unless you guys I want to call. Having, no, this is good. Uh, yeah. Ian, thanks for, thanks for hopping on. This was fun. <laughs> we went long. I like it. Perfect. We did it. The Bootstrap Web Talk Show wraps up. Everybody have a great there weekend. We go. All right. <laughs> See cool. you later. Thanks, Ian. Later, Cheers. Bye.